what God would have us do. The recurring question that rings throughout most churches is to know what God's will for our lives would be. We, we long have that assurance that we are doing specifically what God has chosen as the path for our lives. And so we pray for things like God's will would be made known to us. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 12, Paul tells us what God's will for our life is. He gives you the insight to which you should begin to turn when you would ask, what would God have as his will for my life? And so starting at verse 1 through half of verse 3, Paul establishes a principle for us. And then in the rest of verse 3 through verse 8, he gave one application of that principle directed at sexual purity. And in verses 9 to 12, he gave a second application about life together as Christians. So I think this is essentially one passage with one principle for us to establish. But Paul had two applications of it, which which makes it hard to cover in one sermon. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the principle and its first application, uh, th- w- verses one to eight. And next time we'll come back and we'll see, we'll think more specifically about verses nine to 12 and how that passage applies the principle in a different way. So let's review though. What are we doing in first Thessalonians? The first three chapters of this letter told the story of Paul's desire to know how the new Christians in Thessalonica were doing in the face of potential oppression. So he wrote these words of hope to encourage them and cause them to endure. And he closed chapter three with the happy ending that Timothy had brought back good news that they were persevering in hope and holiness. And Paul finished that story of what had happened since he saw them. He turned to address some specific issues of Christian life and doctrine. And that's where we'll go for the next two chapters, chapter 4 and 5. And so in our passage today, we're going to consider the fundamental injunctions that Paul laid before the Thessalonian church about sexual immorality. And the main point is that God's straightforward will for your life is holiness in sexual purity. God's straightforward will for your life is holiness in sexual purity. And we'll see that in points. We'll think about it in three points. Starting places, sexual purity, and saving power. So first, starting places. So I want to outline two principal considerations here, thinking about God's will. We're going to think about how even faithful Christian churches need to be exhorted in God's will. And then we'll think about how God's will has already been made clear. And we must depend on what he has said. And so first, we'll think about that need for exhortation. So the first starting place is that need for exhortation. Now, clearly, in our passage here in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul addressed moral issues, things of of Christian conduct. 
And I think our first reaction to that is to think that Paul must have been aware of some moral failure in the church there, which is why he singled out these issues of sexual purity in verses 3 to 8 and Christian work in verses 9 to 12. Now, certainly there are reasons linked to their situation that led Paul to talk about these things, these topics, but we might rush too quickly to conclusions if we think that there was massive moral failure in Thessalonica. Because if you read verses 1 to 2 with me, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So, okay, these verses are clearly directed to motivate the Thessalonians toward deeper godliness so that they would pursue personal holiness. Notice, though, how Paul said, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And this, I think this indicates pretty clearly that this congregation was walking in the way, overall, in the way befitting Christians. And that makes this passage really relevant for this church. No matter where you think you are in your efforts at holiness, this passage addresses you. If you are failing, then Paul has sharp words of warning for you. If you're endeavoring rather well, Paul primarily wrote these things for you. Because his main point here was not avoid sin, but walk pleasingly to God more and more. So there's never a point of plateau in holiness during the Christian life. The Christian life is continual venture of pursuing deeper holiness. And this becomes even clearer when we think about verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So if you see here where it says that you abstain, zone in on that for me for just a second, with me for a second. That word for abstain in the Greek, has a connotation of distance built into it. So now here, Paul addressed sexual immorality, and that's certainly, I mean, it's always a pressing danger for almost every Christian. But I think here he would express similar sentiment that we should be distant from every sin. So it's not avoid sin. Distant from it. The point here is the goal for Christians is not just be outside of sin. We're supposed to be miles away from it. We need to be worlds apart from sin that entraps us. We are not just avoiding sin, but we are running towards holiness. And so this passage and all those like it are for the strong and the wavering Christian alike. But let's consider our second 
starting place, finding God's will. One year, when I was really young, for Mother's Day, I gave my mom a paddling pool. Um, obviously, I wanted this for myself. But I acted as if it was a gift for my mother. I, I didn't consider what she would want, nor did I bother to investigate what she said she wanted. I behaved like my self-gratification would be a pleasing gift. You know, my mom was gracious with me as a kid and kindly accepted it. But the point here is that if I really wanted to please her with what I offered, I would have considered what she would actually want rather than simply assuming my desires were hers. But how often do Christians treat God this way? Do not Christians sometimes act as though we can reinvent God's commandments without regard for what God has said pleases Him, hiding it under feeling led by God? How often do Christians think they can make up their own ethics by defaulting to feeling it in my heart? Even Christians find ways to justify what we want to do and call it God's will. We've likely all heard stories, at least, about someone saying something like, I feel like God is leading me to leave my husband or wife for this other person. And yet we know, we do know, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and would not legitimately lead anyone to break His law. And perhaps, though, we see that sort of mindset most in sexual ethics. People pretend, pretend that whatever they want is God's will because they feel like it is. And they're just lying to themselves because we find in 1 Thessalonians that God has clearly told you his will for your life. Look at verse 3 again. For this is the will of God. If you ever have that question, what is the will of God for my life? This verse, you got a one verse answer. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sanctification is your growth in holiness. It is a work God does in us to renew us so that we might die into sin and live under righteousness more and more. There is, there is no reason now to clamor for God's will in your life. He's told you. He's revealed it. There is no reason to search for messages from above and feelings of being led. Paul was clear that God's will for your life is holiness. Your sanctification. That means God is never going to lead you or anyone else under the direction of His Holy Spirit to violate His laws. He wants you 
to grow in Christ-likeness. And the way to have concrete guidance towards that holiness is to look to what God has said in Scripture. So the starting points are first, that no matter how well we are living, we all need exhortation to holiness. And second, that God's will for our lives lives is our sanctification. And we must turn to Scripture to discern what that looks like. That brings us to our second point, sexual purity. So, we've considered thus far how if we want to know God's will for our lives, we begin with Scripture. And in our passage, Scripture gives us specific directions regarding sexual purity. So read verses 3 to 6 with me. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So, okay, I already mentioned that Paul's command to abstain from sexual immorality has this idea of putting distance between you and it. And I want to back that up a little bit more with a couple of extra verses I'm going to throw at you here. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. So these verses are meant to underscore that you don't play with this. You don't think I'm big enough now to toy with temptations in sexual immorality. Paul says, flee, run the other way. From sexual immorality. Again, in 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, So Paul consistently asserted that we should not toy. This is not messing around time with sexual immorality. Nor should we linger in its presence. This is fire, and it will light fast if you toy with it. We need to be as far from it as possible. I, I know that this topic, I know sexual immorality is a sensitive topic, and I'm trying to be careful with this and phrase things well, but we have to think more deeply about this topic. I mean, it's presented in this passage. So Scripture gives us warrant, but it is a massive danger for us in today's society as well. And so first, uh, what I want to do, I want to address all the people who are not married yet or for whatever reason. Um, So... You are in a really difficult position and that our culture is highly sexualized and we are bombarded with sexual messages. And we are told by society, contrary to verse 4, 
that it is best not to control our own bodies. I mean, that's, do you see the explicit contradiction there? I mean, that's what they want. You not to control your body. But you can take a little bit of comfort because that is not a new feature of godless society. Most commentators on this passage think Paul had to address these issues because the culture of Thessalonica was overwhelmed with sexual vice in homes and in pagan temples. So Paul was trying to prevent these new Christians from being drawn back into pagan sexual practices now that they had converted to Christ. And all of us also, like that, face a culture flooded with sexually illicit ideas and material. And so the reason for speaking to unmarried people first is there is a there's a particular way of thinking that we have to avoid entirely. And I am not I'm not just talking to 20s and 30s here. If you're younger than that, if you're older than that, what wherever you are, if you're not married, if you're thinking about dating or whatever, this is for you because you at least will face this issue when you get older. So even Christians will ask questions like, this is the mindset I'm trying to take on that you need to weed out right now. Even Christians will ask questions like, how far can we go before it starts to be sin? And I hope you see the danger in that as soon as I put it before you. You have to commit right now to ridding your mind of that way of thinking. We are not called. Listen, right here. Focus. If you're not listening, zone in right now. We are not called to get as close to sin as we can without tripping into it. That is not the Christian call. We are called to be as far from sin as we possibly can be. Verses 4 to 5. Each one of you... Know how to control your own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So I'm pleading with you. Do not think sexual immorality exists in all certain acts. But it also exists in your mindset And if you are engaging in conduct with another person, but pretending it's okay, it's all right, because it isn't that, you are in serious danger. Flee. Flee. Run as fast and as hard as you can from sexual immorality and get yourself as far from it as you possibly can manage. But, I mean, obviously this also applies to married people. Because Satan loves to destroy God's people by luring them into sexual immorality. And on this point, the first thing I want to ask you, maybe this sounds self-serving, but I think it's for your good too. I want to ask you if you pray for your pastors on precisely this issue. That we would be protected from this temptation. 
Do you pray God would keep us upright and out of temptation of sexual immorality? Because that, that should be something you pray for regularly. Satan loves to take men out of ministry in exactly this way. Exactly this way. It's his favorite tool, it seems like, right now. And none of us are entirely beyond falling into grave sin. So please be praying for us. And then I would ask you in your own lives, how do you protect yourself from sexual immorality? I mean, especially especially in today's environment of ubiquitous internet and Netflix, sexual immorality is not isolated to what you do with other people. I, I think, I genuinely think, one of our greatest temptations here is our entertainment. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard even Christians say, I know there's a lot of nudity in Game of Thrones, but if you can get past that, it's a great show. Is it a great show? Is it worth it? Is it worth getting over that? If it puts you in that much danger? I know plenty of people will say at this point, I'm just not tempted by movies and television, and I don't believe you. I don't know anyone who is strong enough that they are totally unaffected by the image of a naked person. Whether it's on a page or on a television or on a computer, whatever. Is anything, is any show worth it if it leads us into temptation? I know I'm poking at things people enjoy, which is why I'm doing it. We must be insanely self-protective when it comes to this issue. There is no TV show or movie in existence that is worth enduring the explicit depiction of sexual immorality. There is certainly not any, there is, you cannot convince me that there is any benefit to our entertainment that outweighs the dangers sexually immoral shows inflict. Because Paul wrote in verse 7 and 8 that for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Would you tarnish the temple of the Holy Spirit and decorate it with smut? See the relevance of that calling? Do you see that God called us for holiness, which is far, it's a the call to holiness is a far different thing from avoiding sin. Do you understand what I'm after there? You cannot limit sexual immorality to a few things and just not do those. We are meant to be 
chasing purity because we are called to it. Sexual purity is running towards holiness rather than omitting a few actions. And that brings us to our third point, saving power. We've seen that Paul has given us inspired insight into God's will for our lives, that we be holy. Because God desires our holiness, we must take our direction from Scripture instead of pretending we can invent God's standards through what we feel in our hearts. In the second point, we looked at God's call for us to pursue purity which means more, far more than avoiding sin. And there's one last thing to address from these verses. So read verse 6 with me. That no transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, talking about sexual immorality, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Scripture does place a special emphasis on the dangers of sexual sin. Paul drew here, as you've likely picked up, Paul drew here from Psalm 94 that God is the avenger who will punish the wicked and he applies it specially to those who wrong each other in sexual matters. Jewish theology in Paul's day, clearly drawing on Old Testament passages, identified sexual sin with idolatry. So sexual misconduct was equivalent to worshiping other gods. And so there is a sense in which God takes sexual sin incredibly seriously in ways that may not apply to every other sin. And some people will take this to mean that sexual transgressions ruin a person in ways that can never be undone. There has, at times, been a tendency to think people who have sexual sin in their past are somehow lesser Christians. And we must dispose of that way of thinking. There, there is no sin, no matter how grave, that is beyond the power of Christ to forgive. Let's be really clear here. That does not diminish the significance of terrible and heinous sin No, that magnifies the saving power of Jesus. And Christ is able to remove all the stains of even our worst transgressions. If you have come to Jesus in faith and repentance in God, God does not give you the right to think of yourself as some soiled dove beyond the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to think that way. God has right to tell you what to think of yourself. 
remember that it was the Son of God, the one whose life is of eternal value, infinite value, equal with Father and Spirit, that that infinitely valuable person gave his life on the cross to pay for your sins, and there is no sin Jesus Christ cannot demolish. For any of you who have who have felt this way about this or any other sin, now is the time to remember how powerful Jesus Christ and His saving work is. He gave His life so that you could have life. And He will not let any sort of transgression stand in the way of that. For any of you who may be trapped in some sin and feel you could never be a Christian because you could never be good enough, now is the time to realize that Christ did not die for good enough people. He died for the wretched, for the rogues, for the rebellious. And if you would come to Him now, He is not only able more than able to forgive you he will also help you he will save you as you are but he will not leave you as you are the saving power of Christ rests in his perfect life and sacrificial death that offers heaven to you All who would come to him, no matter who you are or what you've done, take hold of Jesus Christ. He can be your rescue and your redeemer. And he will build all of us up in holiness and even protect us from the dangers of this sin. Let's pray to him now. Our triune God, who has worked salvation from beginning to end, Father, you have planned. Christ, you have accomplished. In spirit, you have applied and are applying salvation to us. We do come to you and beg you for mercy that for those here who are lost, that you would break their hearts of rebelliousness, that you would shatter their love for sin, that you would grant to them faith to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christians here who are struggling, perhaps especially with this sin, we do pray for shelter. We pray for relief that you would give extra measures of your Spirit, that you would cause them to wake in the morning and seek the face of God who can satisfy more than any misconduct ever could. For Christians who are endeavoring well, whether they feel that or not, we do pray that you would preserve them in that and that you would increase them in that 
And we pray with Paul that you would make all of us abound more and more in the things that we are taught in Scripture. And we do pray that you would see us all home to our place in heaven in glory with Christ safely and free from failure in this particular area. And we do pray for all of the leaders of this church, present and future, that you would guard them from temptation in sexual immorality. That you would protect them even from it coming into their presence. And that you would make... We do not care right now about the wonders of free will. We are begging you, God, make us run from sexual immorality. Break our heart that we hate it. And that we would love holiness. Make it so it is that way in this church. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.